0: How is who has access to food a symptom of socioeconomic and social struggles in the United States? Does grocery store placement explain food deserts and food apartheid? Where are food deserts located around the United States?
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Driving to Food Justice podcast. We will be exploring these questions on our podcast today.
0: On this episode of the Driving to Food Justice podcast, we will be discussing food apartheid and community efforts to solve them. So Talbot, I'm sure our audience has heard of of a food desert, but how is it different from a food apartheid?
1: Well, a food desert has become a common term used to describe low-income communities, often communities of color, where access to food is limited or where there are no grocery stores. However, this word can be very limiting.
0: Right. The word food desert implies that these areas are naturally occurring and obscures these communities to desolate lands devoid of life, which is not the case. The term food desert erases the presence of community and back gardens, farmers' markets, food businesses, and other food-sharing activities that exist in these areas.
1: When I first heard the word food desert, I assumed this meant that it defined an area where there was no food or grocery stores. However, this definition is incomplete.
0: Unlike real deserts, Food deserts are a result of human activities such as systematic racism and oppression in the form of redlining, zoning codes, and other discriminatory practices that leave these communities without easy access to healthy, fresh food. The problem is systemic and rooted in structural racism.
1: For this podcast, we chose to use the term food apartheid over food desert because it better addresses the root cause of the geographies that lack access to healthy food. It is a question of resource privilege, not of resource presence. To gain a closer look at what food apartheid looks like in the U.S., we are driving down to Hope Sound, Florida to look at the community of Banner Lake. Here, there is a serious lack of access to healthy food.
0: We are about 30 minutes away from speaking from Simone Scott, one of the directors of the Banner Lake Charter School and After School Program. We are driving down the East Coast from Washington, D.C. Banner Lake is a very low-income neighborhood that until two years ago, when the charter school opened, was a resource desert. Education has resulted in increased prosperity, but the adult population suffers from incarceration, several drug charges, and low employment rates.
1: Yeah, and I'm really excited to be speaking with Simone today as I have close ties to Banner Lake. Growing up, I have helped tutor, teach tennis, and work at the Friday morning food banks, so I have seen the way food insecurity affects each family individually. Banner Lake epitomizes the idea of food apartheid because Hope Sound certainly has supermarkets and affluence outside of Banner Lake, but the residents in this community have little access to healthy, sustainable food systems. The presence of supermarkets is not the issue here.
0: Especially apparent, looking at the nearby supermarkets, there's a Winn-Dixie and a Publix near Hope Sound. However, the only people who can afford these prices are residents of the nearby golf clubs and affluent neighborhoods who live apart from the gates of Banner Lake.
1: This is why Banner Lake's work in caring for kids after school, providing three meals a day, and Friday food banks offer crucial resources to families for parents who cannot care for their children. Food insecurity is the foundation of many residents' unstable homes.
0: We're pulling into the neighborhood now. Once we find Simone inside the school, we'll dive right in.
1: First, to learn more about government aid, we asked Ms. Scott how local families and the Banner Lake cafeteria rely on food stamp and SNAP programs.
2: So most families rely greatly on food stamps here in Banner Lake. It's something that residents have been relying on for decades and has been a huge help for the large multi-generational families and seniors in the community. And with the WIC and SNAP program is also a really cool resource because any young mothers that are pregnant and things like that, they're able to go to the health department and be placed on WIC and SNAP so that while they're carrying their children, they're able to receive really healthy foods totally free of charge. So on the WIC ticket, it will tell them, you know, you're going to get organic juice or you're going to get fruits and vegetables and they don't have to pay for it. So then they can bring bring that home to the families and also help to nourish their children. Then we
1: asked how and if the terms food desert and food apartheid resonate in Banner Lake.
2: This is a a tough question for me, but I would say that I I would characterize the difference in resources between neighboring communities like Banner Lake and communities like Jupiter Island, The Oaks, and Lob Lolly as vast. But I say that those words really resonate with Banner Lake because of our mobile food pantry that we offer now twice a week. It used to be um, every Friday where the Treasure Coast Food Bank brings out tons and tons of food. And we see the line getting longer and longer by the year and these shoppers are able to come in and shop totally free of charge to add on to what they're receiving food stamps and things of that nature so i believe that those two words they're well connected here as far as banner lake goes and what the reality is right now
1: simone critically explained to us that food insecurity has only increased in the banner lake community as access to healthy food diminishes the food bank line only gets longer
2: I've been working here at Banner Lake for six years, and I've seen the need for food increase, especially since COVID-19. I speak about the pantry often because we're on our way of really trying to find out specifically what we need to do, but that mobile food pantry is what alerts us to know that If that line is continuing down the block and it's getting farther and farther and farther, we have more and more residents that need help. And Hope Sound has uh, one of the highest adult diabetes rates in Martin County. We're Southerners and we eat with a lot of ingredients that affect our health in a negative way. Um, Over the past years, there have been about like three new fast food restaurants built. And I feel that especially with our parents here it's just like what can i do very quickly where can i where can i go very quickly but they're still hungry and we're still making these really unhealthy decisions, if that makes sense. So even things that we're doing here in-house where we now have a beautiful um, community garden that the kids are working on. So this has been like four years in the making where kids are fine, like tasting uh, rosemary chicken for the first time. Or they're saying that seeing that what they created with their hands can be nourishment for the community. We also have a... um, a soup kitchen that we do every Friday as well. So when parents come and pick up their 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 students or their kids, they're walking out with boxes this high. Um, because that's one less night that they have to worry about food. So we're kind of stepping in and really helping them out. But at the same time, we want them to start to shift the the mindset when it comes to palate and realizing that fast food or these quick things are not the best for our kids because everything is just a full-on generational rotation.
1: To end the interview, Miss Scott explained what other problems food insecurity amplifies in Banner Lake and how they are addressing these issues.
2: If we're looking at the forest instead of the leaves here, I feel like crime has a lot to do with this as well, where we have about 80% of youth that attend our program are in single-parent households. Typically, we learn that these children's fathers, involved or not, are incarcerated or getting by by doing odd jobs. So because they cannot pass a background check because of mistakes that they've made previously in life It's very difficult to say hey i'm living here with my mom And I have the mother of my children and my children all in one home We're gonna go and get our own place if he can't pass a background check If he can't go out and get a solid job and he has very Uncertain inconsistent work. That is where he's going to be in his mother's home and that creates the multi-generational home here in Banner Lake. And then we get to the end of the road where the matriarch passes away, unfortunately. And then what we have are these young adults that cannot pass the background check, do not really have any job skills training or anything like that, left with a home that has been left to them and no idea how to continue on through that. So it brings a lot of issues and Ultimately, we see the family ending up losing the house, unfortunately. Um, We see a lot of back and forth. We see children that have a hatred for the police because, oh, you took my dad away instead of us looking at what really happened in the scenario. Um, So it, it just equivalents to so many different things. But I would definitely say if I can't make ends meet and put food on my family's table, I might make the wrong decisions to get by. For
1: our last stop of the week, we will be visiting Soulfire Farm in Petersburg, New York. We will drive there to look at how one food justice organization is fighting for race-based food security.
0: I remember hearing about their work a little bit when I visited New York City. Can you remind me of what they're working on?
1: Yes, definitely. They're most well known for their distinct approach to farming by changing who is involved in industrial agriculture, as well as consequential carbon emissions. Soulfire Farm has turned mountain land into a sustainable production of fruit, vegetables,
0: and other goods that specifically target victims of food apartheid. Oh, yes, of course. An old friend of mine works there now. I couldn't remember that that was her organization. I remember her explaining to me that their whole farming model stems from working to involve more people of color in the farming industry and to create sustainable food systems through the land. Exactly, and I
1: was reading the other day that they're building 15 new urban farms right now to provide for delivery to those living in areas affected by food apartheid. Their farming immersion program is really critical in extending their uprooting racism in the food system movement.
0: My friend sent me a video a few months ago about Soul Fire Farm. Can we listen for a second? Despite of course. Our master's Have you found it yet?
3: Over a decade of farming experience, we found it impossible to get fresh food for our children. There were no supermarkets and no farmer's markets. The only food is a corner store, a liquor store, and a McDonald's. This system of segregation is termed by the government a food desert to us. There's nothing natural about apartheid, so we call it what it is. The food apartheid, it comes out of a legacy of redlining and housing discrimination, of divestment from communities of color, and has resulted in the situation today where if you're white, you're four times as likely to have a supermarket on your block than if you're black.
0: I think it's so cool how Leah Penniman, the co-founder of Soul Fire, explains how specific food justice can be, and how her upbringing has motivated the system she has built. What's often so difficult about combating issues of food apartheid is that one solution does not match all places.
1: You know, I think that's such a good point, Kendall, because Leah explains that you can't just give people food and run away. Soulfire is rooted in the idea that the people must be involved in their farming practices to create something that will last. She inspires self-sufficiency through allowing people to provide a basic need for themselves,
3: something that helps people you know, understand land the their own histories the and beatings, the enslavement, the sharecropping took place, and so there's no way to escape the trauma associated with that. And so a big part of what I and we are trying to do at Soulfire
0: And so often, in thinking about food apartheid and food deserts, we often concentrate on whether grocery stores are present and defining whether or not people have access to food. But truly, food apartheid is defined by the lack of healthy, high-quality food that is beneficial for people's health. Food systems dominated by processed food are often defining characteristics of those who do not have access to resources.
1: Exactly, and that's what makes this farming so unique. By providing honey, fresh meat, and produce, people can escape cyclical canned and perishable food that harms overall health. Soulfire targets the needs of its nearby population, but they also inspire generations of future farmers to start their own programs to help other people.
0: They're very uniquely spreading engagement and love of the land in a way that also provides. We the have enrichment. a
3: lot of teens that come to the been farm, been so and successful. not all of them are going to be farmers, but they see folks who look at like them following their dreams and being their own bosses and running their own institutions what matters to me is that they can see a wider vision of what's possible for their own lives this is what we're trying to get here so it's great to see it in person yeah it makes my heart flutter honestly i really hope we can get that interview with leah scheduled by the time we reach new york she should
1: hopefully get back to us by the time we reach new york from florida as of now we were planning on finding a random farmer there But hearing from her could help us hear more about the -the behind-the-scenes
0: information. I agree. Especially after hearing Rick Brown, a Warren County hemp farmer, tell us about his family history and how he runs his farm, I'm intrigued to understand how the farmers' personal lives motivate what they create.
1: I couldn't agree more. Growing up in Connecticut, I feel like I know much more about grocery store placement and small-scale food justice programs than I do farming. I've always wanted to know more about the food industry, but often, this information is quite hidden from typical consumers.
0: That's why I'm so intrigued by food and environmental justice. It explains issues that are socially, environmentally, and financially rooted. It's impossible to separate looking at how and what we eat from who has access. My uncle is actually a collard green and ochre farmer in Chula, Mississippi. So growing up, I've always seen farming as a small scale way for people to provide food for themselves.
1: Wow, really? That's so interesting. Has that changed the way you understand food justice?
0: Yes and No. I've been interested in environmental justice for a while, as I stem from a history of living in both rural and urban food deserts.
1: Wait, so what's the difference between an urban and a rural food desert?
0: Rural food deserts are generally classified as a county where residents must drive more than 10 miles to the nearest supermarket or grocery store, whereas an urban food desert is classified as having to drive more than a mile.
1: Wow, that must be difficult if a resident doesn't own a vehicle.
0: It is. Residents of food deserts who lack a reliable source of transportation are often forced to shop at convenience stores where selections are typically limited to processed foods high in fat, salt, and sugar. This is why they are at a higher risk of diet-related conditions such as obesity, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. As we learned from Simone Scott today, we must create more accessible and healthy options for residents of food deserts.
1: And that concludes today's episode of Driving to Food Justice. Looking at the issue of food apartheid through a community suffering from food insecurity and a food justice organization helps highlight the spectrum of the problem. Next week, we will
0: be driving to Dallas, so stay tuned. Thank you for coming on this trip with us. It's clear that food apartheid is a much more complete term to describe resource-deprived communities. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye!